Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. We praise you. We praise you, Lord, for this incredible, amazing gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank you because you did not stay in the grave, but you rose again. And that is the hope that seals our salvation, the resurrection of Jesus. And that is the declaration of our heart this morning, Lord. We praise you. We thank you because Jesus is risen from the grave. I pray that that would be the resounding declaration of our faith this morning. And not just this morning, Lord, but throughout our lives, Father. And so this morning I pray that you will prepare our hearts, Lord, as we receive from you. I pray, Lord God, that as we uh, go into your word, we pray that uh, we will learn something, truth especially, Lord God, that will bring about a strong conviction in our hearts, Lord so that we will be changed and we'll be transformed in the name of Jesus, that it will not just be another sermon that we hear, Father. Open our eyes, Lord, our hearts, our spirits this morning to receive from you today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you sit down, why don't you turn around and greet someone this morning? Welcome to all of you this morning. My name is Jonathan Anthony. I'm part of the ministry team here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And I also would like to welcome our brothers and sisters and friends who are joining us online this morning. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, I pray that we will all be blessed together as a family and as a community of God. Now, it's been wonderful that uh, we have uh, much needed rain in the last few days. Don't you just love it? The cooler weather finally has come. Oh my goodness, what a reprieve, hey? And uh, and then the first quarter of the year is over. And one term is done, and school holidays coming up in a few days, and and parents will be able to spend time with their children. How exciting. (laughs) Some parents were like, not. But I don't know, maybe it's just me getting older, but it just seems that time is running so fast. Is it just me or yes? Yeah. Yeah, and you look back and you go, where's that all that time gone? It's so fast. It's like, I can't believe it. We're now in April. Well, this morning we're starting a new series and it's entitled Word of Life. And I really hope that uh, as we explore the life-giving truth of the gospel, and how it impacts and influences our lives, that it is such a, a privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning and, and open our series. But before I go on, I just want to address the elephant in the room because I know and I can read your minds, what happened to your finger? Oh, you probably didn't notice it. Well, be careful in the way you put together pieces of furniture in your house. Accidents can happen just like that, and my finger just gets smashed with solid wood. 
and it's split into parts and now, I won't describe too much information, but anyway, I don't want to be answering 50 questions in the foyer. What happened to your finger, Jonathan? What did you do? So now you know, all right? So let's put that aside. All right, word of life. And this morning, uh, my theme is make your joy complete. But I would like to start off by just sharing with you a little piece of information. There was a group of computer science and data analysts who wanted to find out who is the most influential person in history. And so they put together this really difficult, rigid algorithm. And it, they're not necessarily believers, this group of data analysts. And they came up with the top 30, and I just extracted the top five. And here it is, the list. We have Abraham Lincoln sits on number five. William Shakespeare, number four, Muhammad, number three, Napoleon, number two, and Jesus, number one, the most influential person in history. When we see results like this from an independent and perhaps non-believing people, this should give us a sense and a level of confidence and morale boost knowing that these people have probably used such rigid, difficult, critical algorithm that they can come up with so that they can kick out Jesus off the list. Amen? They couldn't. However, there is nothing more significant and reliable source of data other than the Gospels itself. Written by people who have seen and heard Jesus himself. John, for example, one of the disciples, was a witness to the life and ministry of Jesus. He was in the inner circle, so to speak, with Peter and James. And John was the third person there. And the message that John was proclaiming is one that is life-giving and life-transforming message of the gospel. In fact, the very heart of the gospel was articulated by John in John 3.16. That is the heart of the gospel. So our theme this morning, make your joy complete. We find ourselves in the text of 1 John verse 1. Sorry, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. And that's our reading this morning that we will explore. 1 John 1, 1 to 6. Please uh, follow with me. It says here, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, our, looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Next slide. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. It is interesting because in this text and in this passage, John concluded by saying that we write this 
to make our joy complete. It is as if John was saying that we want to share with you this message we have heard. We want to proclaim to you the message we have heard, we have seen, and we have received. We proclaim them to you, and nothing will give us so much joy than to see you receive the gift of eternal life. That gives us joy. That completes our joy. That is what John was actually saying. Now, just to give you a brief background, when John wrote this letter to the believers, he wrote this addressing to the churches who were experiencing some false teachers present at that time, false prophets denounced as antichrist and denied blatantly the incarnation of Jesus. That's the setting. So the emphasis on these verses really is about the humanity of Jesus experienced through human senses of sight, sound, and touch. That Jesus was truly human and physically existed on this earth. He lived and walked and preached around Galilee, the different synagogues of Galilee. Now, two and a half weeks ago, I was walking around the Sea of Galilee. Do we have a photo of that? That's the beautiful Sea of Galilee. And, and you look at that and you go, this is not just a place that you read in the scripture. This is not just a piece of historical record that you actually get to see it. And this place existed. And that's where Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry for three years, preaching around the different synagogues around Galilee. It is amazing. John also emphasized not just the humanity of Jesus, he also emphasized the deity of Jesus, the pre-existing existence of Jesus. In fact, it's very, it's very typical of John because if we read 1 John 1, it says that we trust from the beginning, typical writing of John. And if you go back to John 1 verse 1, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, he just wants to get it out there, make it very clear that this Jesus that, you, that we saw that existed in the physical form actually existed even before the creation of the world, even before the beginning. He was already there. So he was alluding not just to the humanity and the physical Jesus, but he was also alluding to the spiritual, the deity of Jesus, the God Jesus. He wanted to address that in order to clarify the confusion of his listeners because there were false prophets teaching against the incarnation of Jesus. So for John and the apostles and all the other gospel writers, it gives them so much joy. In fact, he describes it as complete joy to see that this message that we proclaim will find a place in the hearts of their listeners. In a similar way for us, it will bring us joy to see people embracing and believing the gospel message and seeing people come to faith, don't you think? There is absolutely nothing that can compare to the joy of seeing a person receive salvation. When our kids were born and growing up, we already prayed that they will come to know the Lord one day. We didn't force it. We didn't Bible bash them. 
But when the time came for both of them to say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I remember praying in our lounge room and we were crying with so much joy and go, wow, thank you, Lord. Because I think if there is any inheritance and legacy that you can leave behind to your children, it is your legacy of faith. So much joy. When you see a friend come to know Jesus, a friend that you've invited to Alpha, a friend that you've invited to church, it's the service, Christmas service, and they keep coming and they come to know the Lord. It brings us so much joy to see them walking in the Lord now. Isn't it? That is what John was talking about. Make your joy complete. Make our joy complete. Now this coming Friday and Sunday, we have the opportunity of remembering the sacrifice and the death of Jesus on the cross. Invite your friends so they get to hear the gospel. So this morning, let's examine our text, 1 John 1, 1 to 6, and explore further the very nature of this gospel in order for us to have a deeper conviction that might cause us to do something about it. Amen? So I'd like to share with you three aspects of the nature of the gospel from our text this morning. The first is that the gospel is trustworthy. The gospel is trustworthy. We see here John declaring boldly as an eyewitness, as a witness to the life, the work, the ministry, the miracle, the power of Jesus. Now, let me just say this to you. When something happens in our community, whether robbery or drive-by shooting or anything or whatever it is, the very first thing that forensics and police officers will gather, two things that they will do. One is they will gather the evidence of what's left over. And number two, they will start door knocking and interview for witnesses. Now, it's a really important element in this investigation because witnesses play a vital role. In fact, in the court of law, you could go to jail or not go to jail. It really hangs on the balance, on the testimony of the witness. Amen? Amen. And so, therefore, eyewitnesses are very important. You cannot just discount that. And John here claimed that he was an eyewitness to Jesus. John claimed that he saw Jesus. He interacted with Jesus. And it wasn't like a short time, one week interaction experience, having a holiday in the Sea of Galilee. No, it was over a period of three years. When he decided to follow Jesus, he interacted, seen, touched Jesus. You know, when he said, what we heard, we share with you. What we saw, you know, when you see something, there's an element of observation from a distance, all right? But then he even added more weight to it by saying, which we have touched. In other words, when you touch something, you actually examine. You investigate at close proximity. You don't just go, oh, I've touched the garment of Jesus from a distance. Oh, I've touched Jesus in the flesh from a distance. No, when you touch something or someone, you have carefully examined. And out of those experiences of what you have seen, what you have heard, what you have looked, what you have touched, then you come up with your own conclusion. Amen? Amen. More often in our Christian life, it's like that. When we talk about our experiences and our testimony about the goodness and the grace and the power of God in our lives, 
and we begin to investigate, we begin to reflect, what has God done to me? And I can guarantee you, if we just do just out of exercise, get an A4 piece of paper and just start writing down small and big things, what has God done to you? And just start writing, I'm pretty sure that one A4 is not enough. Out of your own journey, out of your own experience. No wonder John has a lot to write and a lot to say about his experience with Jesus. John 1 verse 14, he said, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling, lived among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, this is a statement of truth and fact. John was certain about the humanity and the deity of Jesus. There is something different when you see something, when you hear something, when you look at something, and you've touched something. And in this case, someone. That is the trustworthiness of the gospel. Experienced through our human senses. Praise the Lord. There's so many people in the gospel that have experienced Jesus firsthand. One of them was Mary Magdalene. We had the opportunity, uh, as I've mentioned, two, weeks, two and a half weeks ago I was in Israel, and we had the opportunity of visiting the town of Mary Magdalene called Magdala. Can we have the photo, please? Magdala. So the Catholic Church in 2006 bought a big piece of block of land in Magdala on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Now, one of the rules and the policy in Israel is that before you build, you have to dig. You cannot just build. You, this is your land, you bought it, you built. No, you have to dig because you don't know what's underneath the ground. So they started digging. In 2009, in their property, in the piece of land that they bought, they found a first century synagogue with the pillar still standing as they unearthed the ground. Some of the mosaic in the front here, I didn't capture quite that in the, in the photo, was still there, the original flooring of the synagogue. And as they continued digging and digging, they found that thing in the middle there is the seat of Moses. That's where the rabbis sit and teach around in that circular uh, formation where the rocks are. Do you remember when Jesus alerted to the Pharisees and said, oh, look at those Pharisees. You know, they love to sit in the seat of Moses and get recognition. That's there. And so... The Catholic Church wanted to build a hotel, resort, retreat place. They could not build on top of that. So what they did, they did off-center. You know, they did off that one, and then they covered that, and now that's become an archaeological site. And as they have kept digging where the people are, that's actually the fish market that they've discovered. And the, the little ponds are still there, and John Dixon was saying, these ponds, this is where the fishermen from Galilee or from the Sea of Galilee, they go, here, put their fish here, and maybe you can buy your fish alive. Because they don't have ice, refrigerator, or anything like that at that time to preserve it. So they sell the fish alive. And you can just go, oh, yeah, that one. That'll, that'll do. And it's all there, and they continue. Opposite, on over the side of the road, they, they've discovered just recently, I think a year ago or two years ago, they discovered another synagogue. And one of the beauty with having a an ancient historian traveling with you, such as John Dixon, 
he said to us, I am 97% sure that Jesus have taught at this synagogue. Now, if you're looking for evidence, trustworthiness of the gospel story that we know and hear, there's so many proofs. In fact, there were people in our group who were non-believers, non-churchgoers. They don't go to church. They don't have a faith, but they come because they're curious about the Christian faith. And the tour company that runs these tours said to us that sometimes these people come back believing because the evidence is so compelling. The gospel is trustworthy. Amen? Amen. The second nature of the gospel is that the gospel is transformational. You see, what happens is when a person believe and receive Jesus, we have been invited into a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus, and a relationship with one another. And so what happens out of that, the byproduct of that is this spiritual fellowship that we share in God. Amen? Amen. Amen. That transform a community. In fact, time and time again, with every big disasters around the world, let me tell you this. More often than not, it is the Christian organizations, humanitarian aid agencies that are the first ones on the ground. Why? Because they just have this heart. They just have this heart. It's, it's a shared pain because of our shared belief, because of our shared conviction. And brings about this beautiful fellowship. And there is nothing more Social transformation happening that is, that is really impactful other than the unity and the fellowship of the body of Christ. Because we share the faith in Jesus. The gospel message is not just a message. It is a person and it is also a lifestyle. Amen. It changes us from the inside out. And so instead of just looking out for ourselves, we look out for other people, for the needs around us, for the people who are struggling around us, because that is just the nature of the gospel. It changes us and it transforms us. And so you see this beautiful unity and harmony and byproduct of that is the fellowship. And that's why John was saying, we're telling you this so that you may share in the fellowship that we have with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so fellowship is one of the markers of the Christian faith. One of the distinctives of the gospel is fellowship. When we begin to disintegrate, oh, no, I don't want to come to church anymore. I don't want to see people there. You know, I don't like Christians. You know, like that. I've heard people like that. But let us remember and realize that fellowship is required. You know, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And this koinonia is not just, ah, oh, let's come together and share a meal. It goes deeper and beyond that. This koinonia is actually uh, come together, fellowship together because of our shared values, because of our shared belief, and because of our shared conviction and our shared behaviors. You know, like we, we just kind of, we just want to love and we just want to you know, share the people. You know, there's a saying that says blood is thicker than water. But from my experience, sometimes the spiritual bond is thicker yes. than blood. Yes. Amen? Amen? You know, 
we're so thankful when during COVID, you know, our, our small group, you know, like dropped food hampers at our place and there were times where we didn't have to cook for three days. That's because of the love that we have experienced and the fellowship of the body of Christ. Amen. And that is the beauty of the gospel that it brings us all together because Christianity is a collective, communal, corporate, it is a family. We're not called to be independent. We are called to be interdependent with one another. And when we do so, and when we take the effort, when we are intentional, genuine koinonia will happen. And that is such a powerful, transforming power to the people around us. That whole experience going to Israel really changed me. I've been a pastor for a while. Since the age of 18, when I finished Bible college, that was one of my bucket list and said to the Lord, before I die, I want to go to Israel. I thought that was never going to happen. But praise God, it did. And one of the things that we did was uh, one day, we were on a boat and we sailed into the center of the Sea of Galilee. And John Dixon told the skipper, Turn off the engine. Okay. And there was just absolute silence. The sea was so still. All 50 of us were quiet, including our drivers and our, our tour guide. We were silent for about 10, 15 minutes, and we just soaked in the experience. It's like this is the same sea that Jesus walked. This is the same sea that Peter jumped out because he wanted to go to Jesus, and this is where he sank as well. And this is the same sea, and I'm not just reading it anymore. I am here in the middle of it. So I could not help myself. I was gonna swim, but I wasn't ready. So I think it is enough to soak my feet. That is my touch moment, as John was saying, which we have touched which we have seen, which we have experienced. That's my experiential moment. I just want to feel it. And I sat there for like 20 minutes having a time of meditation and reflection about the reality of Jesus in my life. Amen? Amen. If that doesn't change anyone, oh man, I tell you, it is incredible. But then our text also says in verses 5 to 7, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So the kind of transformation that does not just happen in a communal, corporate sense, John also wanted to ensure that there is transformation that is happening on the inner level of your life. This is where the demand for integrity and authenticity of your faith is demanded. You cannot say, I'm a Christian and live an unchristian life Monday to Saturday. You cannot say, I'm a Christian and a drug addict or an alcoholic. You cannot say I'm a Christian and addicted to porn. Where is the integrity and the authenticity of your life? 
And John was basically saying, you make sure that you are careful in this because this is where consistency is really important. You know one of the reasons why a lot of, of people don't like the institutionalized church? Because of the level of hypocrisy of its followers. We say one thing and we do another. We say something and the action doesn't support it. And John was saying, don't do that. If you say you are, in, you, you are in the light, then live as if you are a person in the light. If you say you love God, then live as if you'll honor and live God and, and live a life that's pleasing to God. That is the kind of transformation. So we've got this communal corporate transformation that everyone can see so powerfully, but we also need to have that individual inner transformation that needs to take place. That is the demand and the call for integrity and authenticity in our lives and in our faith. Amen? Amen. The third nature of the gospel is that the gospel is transcendent. It goes beyond this life. You know, one of the very promises, there's only one promise really, for you to receive the gift of eternal life. For you to spend eternity with God. That is the transcendent nature of the gospel. It's not like, yeah, you believe, you receive, you follow, you die, you finish. No, it's not like that. There is a transcendent nature of the gospel that goes beyond what we see. That goes beyond the physical. That goes beyond the material. And that beautiful gift of eternal life is incredible. John said, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you so you receive it. Amen. And when you receive it, you receive the gift of eternal life. And when you have eternal life, it means that you are guaranteed yes. to spend your eternity with God. John 5 verse 24, he said, very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not judge but has crossed over from death to life. Amen. We are not just saved in this life, my friends, but also we are saved in the life to come. Yes. That is why we have hope that the gospel guarantees and I think and I truly believe there's only one very important decision that a person can make in this life. The decision to wholeheartedly follow Jesus and therefore your future in God is secure. Amen. You have this assurance not only in this material earthly life but in the life to come that God promised. Coming from a big extended family, I have relatives who don't know the Lord. And when I hear news, you know, some uncle, auntie passed away, sometimes it makes me sad that they don't know the Lord. Knowing that may, I will not see them again. You know, I'm excited to see my parents again when, you know, when I die, but those that don't know the Lord, sometimes it gives a bit of sadness in my heart. And I'm sure that you can relate to that. There's probably some relatives or family members in your circle who don't know the Lord. And my prayer this morning is that the Lord will begin to stir in our hearts to just pray for them. 
that somehow the Holy Spirit will work through other people in their encounters or anything like that, will put people in place that they get to hear the gospel of salvation. But more important than that is that, that we will be invitational in our own journey of faith. That we will keep telling people, come, so they get to hear the message. I was talking to a friend on Wednesday. She doesn't come to church. She's an unbeliever. And I rang her and I invited her to our Good Friday service. And I'm praying that she will come. And if she comes, I'll be so happy. Because Graham will be preaching and I'm sure this person will get to hear the message of the gospel. And we just need to continually be invitational. Tell others about it. We must know Jesus. We must proclaim and share him to the world and to others. And this will enable us to have fellowship with the Father, fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, and fellowship with one another. And in that way, our joy will be complete. But not until then. Let's keep working. Let's keep praying. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. John Piper said, the best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we, we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. Let's pray. A gracious, loving Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the way that you have revealed yourself to us. Father, I pray that you will give us a sense of conviction, Lord God, to think and pray for those people in our world who don't quite know you, Father. So brothers and sisters, I'd like to give you the opportunity this morning to just come before the Lord and bring those names. There may not be, you know, possibilities out yet in the future, but the Lord will show that to you. And so I'd like to encourage us all to take a few moments to pray for these people in our lives. Why don't we just do that as as we reflect on what we've heard this morning. Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your love, your mercy and your grace, your gentleness in the way that you treat us, Father. Lord, I, I pray along with my brothers and sisters this morning, we just want to bring and lift up all these people and all these names that, that we've uttered in, in this morning, Lord. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will reach out to them in your own special and unique way, Father. And Lord, we pray that they get to hear the gospel, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will continue the stirring in our hearts, Lord. Names of people, relatives, family members. Father, I pray that you will cause a deeper burden in our hearts, Lord God, to see them come to know you, Father. Because we know that it is only in you that we find life. That it is only in you that we find meaning and purpose. It is only in you that we find hope. When we look around, it seems like such the world we live in. There's a lot of hopelessness around. But Father, we know that when we look to you, we'll find that hope. And so, Father, I pray for the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you will enable each one of us, Lord God, to be that light, to be that witness, to be that messenger that speaks and proclaims, to be that person that invites, to be that person that testifies. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.